0: Today, our face-to-face encounter with Jesus explores the almost empty tomb. Three witnesses are recorded in the Gospel of John, Mary Magdalene, Simon Peter, and John himself, that they, when they looked into the tomb, each of them saw something, and eventually what they saw transformed them. It gave them hope, it enabled them to overcome grief and guilt, and to see the glory and greatness of our Lord. So let's go to the scripture and let's explore the almost empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus Christ.
1: Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 35 kilograms. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was the Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby they laid Jesus there early on the first day of the week while it was still dark Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she wept she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God.
0: What we see in the scripture is that each witness, when they came to the tomb, Mary Magdalene, Peter and John, they saw something different. Let's begin by looking at Mary Magdalene. In John chapter 20, verse 1, it says this, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. When she saw that, she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. In the original language, the word saw is the word blepo, and it means to simply see with your eyes. In other words, Mary looked into the tomb, but what was there didn't register. She she looked, but it didn't have meaning yet for her. And in that initial encounter that we see in the beginning of the chapter, she just stoops down and looks in from the outside. But a little bit later, after she has come back to the tomb, we read in verse 11 this. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had laid, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Mary looked, but she wasn't able to see. She wasn't able to even process the evidence that was in front of her. Even when she looks into the tomb and sees two angels, one sitting at the, where the feet of the body of Jesus was and one at the head, she's still not able to comprehend what has occurred. Her grief is so intense upon her heart and upon her mind that she's not able to process that Jesus has risen from the dead. She looks, but she can't yet see and believe. Well, later her encounter continues because she eventually meets Jesus himself outside of the tomb. She had been so overwhelmed with grief that that encounter was what was required in order for her to believe. Now now think about it for just a moment. Mary had seen Jesus crucified. She was one of the ones that came and helped prepare his body. And she had come back here on the first day of the week on Sunday morning to again apply aloes and spices to the body and to grief, She was so overwhelmed with her grief, with the heartbreak, that even the testimony of two angels did not yet convince her that he, Jesus, was risen. But look what Jesus says to her in verse 14. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and to your God. When Mary hears the voice of Jesus, that's what penetrates through her grief, through her hurt, and enables her to believe and her first response is to wrap her arms around him and to cling to Jesus. She, she touches him and, and grabs him to find out if it's real, if it's not just a ghost, but if he's really physically risen. And once she knows and once she hears the words that Jesus has spoken to her, she eagerly goes and testifies to the disciples that she has seen the risen Lord. Mary looked first, but wasn't able to see. Grief had blinded her temporarily. But what is so important about Mary is that Mary kept on looking. She didn't just glance at the evidence once. She continued to look until she was able to see. That's where many of you are perhaps today. Perhaps you've casually looked at Jesus. Maybe you've gone to church a few times. Maybe you've read some of the Bible But have you continued to look, continued to seek, to see if the things that Jesus says about himself are true? You see, Mary was able to look past the circumstances of her life, past the brokenness, past the grief that she was feeling, and she kept looking for Jesus, and Jesus found her right in the midst of her grief. I believe that's true for you as well. If you will keep on looking, because you see the promise of the scripture is seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened unto you. We're promised if we seek the Lord with all of our heart, we will have an encounter with him. And so I want to challenge you. Maybe you're skeptical about Jesus. Maybe you're skeptical about the resurrection. Would you examine the evidence? Would you ask the Lord to reveal himself to you, to meet you right where you are and to help you to believe? I fully am convinced that if you'll do that with an open heart, the Lord will reveal more and more of himself to you. And you'll be able to examine the evidence of the almost empty tomb and discover that not only is Jesus Christ risen from the dead, but that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, let's look at the next witness to the tomb. Let's look at Simon Peter. John chapter 20, verse 6. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen claws lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen claws, but folded up in a place by itself. Now what's interesting here is that Peter did not stop at the doorway, at, at the stone, but he went inside and saw that there was no body, but he saw that the tomb also was not empty. And that evidence is really important. The word translated saw in the original language here is different than the word that's used to describe Mary. The Greek word used for Simon Peter is "theereo," And it means to look carefully and to examine. You see, Peter went into the tomb. He began to look around and his mind was beginning to process what he was seeing. He wasn't quite to the point where he was understanding but he continued to explore the evidence. His exploration was different than Mary's. Peter examined the empty clothes, and the scripture says that he marveled. In the book of Luke, chapter 24, verse 12, it tells us this. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Peter looked beyond just the empty tomb to look at the evidence that was left behind. And seeing the empty clothes began to change Peter's perspective. Mary thought someone had moved the body. But the empty clothes and the neatly folded head covering told a very different story to Peter. Peter knew that something incredible had happened, but he wasn't quite at the point where he was able to believe it. His mind was beginning to process, to analyze the forensic evidence. And his deductive reasoning was trying to work out what he saw to be able to make it match with the events he had experienced. And I believe very much what had hindered him was his guilt. The scripture says that he went away marveling, but he did not yet believe what he saw. Maybe that's like you. Maybe guilt is keeping you from coming to Christ. Maybe the guilt of the things that you've done make it feel like you couldn't possibly be forgiven by the Lord. I think that's part of what was hindering Simon Peter. He denied the Lord three times. He was his closest companion, and yet he betrayed him when the moment was most needed for him to stand by as a friend. That guilt wore heavily on Simon Peter. And it would take a different face-to-face encounter with the Lord, where the Lord would question him about his own heart, about his own love, in order for Peter to be able to let go of that guilt and truly not only believe in the resurrection, but allow it to change him into the great apostle that he became in the church. But now let's look at the third witness to the tomb. John chapter 20, verse 8 says this, Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, the one who identifies himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, also went in, and it says he saw and believed. The word saw here with John is again a different word in the Greek language. It is the word haraio, and it means to see, to understand, and to believe. John saw differently, and, and I believe the reason that he did is because he had a different understanding of Jesus and specifically of his relationship with him. John referred to himself, not by name or by title, but simply as the disciple Jesus loved. Later he would write that true love casts out fear. The same kind of fear that imprisoned Mary and Peter. John believed that Jesus really loved him personally. Not just a generic love that God has for everyone. But John understood that Jesus saw him as an individual and loved him. And that his love for him was not based upon his performance. But because it was based upon Jesus' character. The fact that Jesus chose to love him. And that's so important for you and I. That truth, I believe, opened John's eyes to see what others could not yet see, that Jesus was alive, that he was risen from the dead. So what about you? Before you examine the forensic evidence, examine your own heart. Do you believe that Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, loves you personally? That's what the scripture tells us, that he loves us individually. He knows everything about you and everything about me, and yet he loves us anyway. So much so, he was willing to give his life for you and for me. The scripture tells us in Isaiah that he calls us by name, that we are precious in his sight, that we are honored, and that we are loved. That's how God feels about you. And when you understand his love for you individually, that it's not based upon your performance, but it's based upon who he is and the character of his love. It changes everything. It gives you the faith to be able to believe miracles, to believe what God says. You see, Jesus had told his disciples again and again that he would die and that he would rise again on the third day. Because John understood how much Jesus loved him, it made it that much easier for him to believe what he saw in the evidence that was right in front of him. Now, what is it that John saw that moved him past the doubt, through the fear, past even the wonder and the marvel that Peter experienced to believe that Jesus Christ was risen? Well, let me tell you a little bit about a Jewish burial because the New Testament is very clear That the burial of Jesus followed the customs of the Jews. So let me do my best to try to explain this to you. What would happen in a Jewish burial? The body would first be laid upon the stone. And it would be washed so that all of the, the blood and all of the wounds would be cleansed. Oftentimes when we see pictures of the empty tomb, they look a lot like what I have displayed here. We see a cloth that maybe was just laid over the body. But that's not what the Jewish customs for burial was. In fact, what it is, is it would have been strips of white linen cloth that would be wrapped around the body in in similar ways to the way you you would wrap a wound. They would take those strips of cloth, Wrapping the arms, the legs, the chest, all of the body would be wrapped up in those strips of cloth. In fact, it was very similar to the strips of cloth that we read about in the, in the Advent account, in the birth of Jesus, that the promise to the shepherds is that they would find Jesus lying in a manger, wrapped in strips of cloth, swaddling cloths. The burial cloths were very, very similar and in fact, I believe that the sign given to the shepherds was a, a a forerunner. It was a prophecy that would point to Jesus in the empty tomb. It would point to the empty grave clothes. Because here's what would happen. The scripture tells us next that after the body had been wrapped in the strips of cloth, then they would come and they would take aloes and myrrh and spices and they would take those and they would rub those in to the cloths. They would knead them in on top of the body. Now, the scripture records that 35 kilos of aloes and myrrh and spices were placed upon Jesus' body. Now if you're um, an American like me and you don't think naturally in terms of kilos, that's 75 pounds of aloe, myrrh and spices. Now, here's what would happen when you would take those 75 pounds or those 35 kilos of aloe and myrrh and spices and and understand that myrrh is is a gum that comes from a tree. And so it's really sticky. When those were mixed together with the strips of cloth, it basically formed glue. A glue that would dry over time so that the strips of cloth that are wrapped around the body begin to harden. They become like a chrysalis. By the third day, the body, uh, the burial claws of Jesus would have begun to harden and stiffen up, in some ways, kind of like a, a cocoon, although maybe not quite that, that um, sturdy. It still was, had some flexibility to it. But over that time, that glue would harden. And so what John looked in and saw was an empty shell. The body had somehow miraculously gone through the grave clothes and left behind in the form, in the shape of a body, an empty set of grave clothes, a shell, where you could see that there's no explanation for how the body got outside of those grave clothes. There's no tears that hadn't been cut. The body had miraculously transferred through the grave clothes. Now, maybe a, a good way to explain it is, think about this. If you have a, a mummy-style sleeping bag, think about how to get your body or someone else's body out of that mummy-style sleeping bag without unzipping it. There's absolutely no way you could do it. That's what we would have seen when John looked into the tomb. He saw there a casing around the body and he realized that something miraculous had happened. Jesus' body wasn't moved. The grave clothes were still there, but they were undisturbed. And the head cloth, the cloth that would have been over his face, was neatly folded and it was laid to the side. Jesus would have taken that off after his body moved through that shell, that empty casing of the grave clothes. And it was an incredible witness to a miracle. In the scriptures, when Jesus begins to appear to the disciples, what we see is that his body is the same, but it's different. He's able to move through walls. He's able to go through locked doors. His resurrected body It now has taken on some additional qualities. And the evidence uh, that we see in the empty tomb is the evidence that later was confirmed by the appearances of Jesus. His resurrected body came right through the grave clothes. The only explanation was that he was risen from the dead. Let me give you one other aspect of it to help you understand it. Just a short time earlier, when Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, the first thing he says after he says to Lazarus, Lazarus come forth, is that he instructs those around him to loosen Lazarus. Because when Lazarus would have walked out of that tomb, the stiffening of those grave clothes and the glue that was formed by the aloe and the myrrh would have made it very difficult for him to move. And so that's why Jesus instructs those at Lazarus resurrection to set him free, to cut off those grave clothes so that his body can be free. When John looked into the tomb, he saw that empty shell and he knew that Jesus Christ was risen. He knew that the promises that Jesus had made when he said, destroy this temple, referring to his body, and I will raise it up again on the third day, he knew that was true. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You see, the evidence that Jesus left behind was forensic evidence for us to be able to believe in the resurrection. There's no way that Jesus' body was stolen. The grave clothes proved it. There's no way that anyone could have come in and taken the body out of that casing without leaving evidence behind that somehow the body had been removed. Likewise, the, the skeptics who would say that perhaps just Jesus uh, fainted, he, he wasn't truly dead, that makes absolutely no sense because there's no way he could have gotten out of the grave clothes himself, especially in a weakened state. The only thing that fits the evidence is what the scripture says, that Jesus Christ really did rise from the dead. The grave clothes not only proved the resurrection of Jesus, it also portrayed a picture of spiritual birth. I want you to picture what happened. Imagine for a moment... Um, What we see in nature is that God has given us this metamorphosis that occurs when a caterpillar spins a cocoon and the the body is laid down as dormant. And then after many weeks, it is transformed into a creature that emerges, that, that is vibrantly more beautiful than a caterpillar, a butterfly. This is what I think John began to see in that empty shell of the grave clothes. The physical death of Jesus took the penalty of our sin so that we could become a brand new creation, so that we could be born again. Remember, John had been the one to record Jesus' words to Nicodemus, the same man that wrapped Jesus in the grave clothes and helped to apply the mixture that turned into this stiffening agent of aloe and spices on the linen cloths that bound Jesus' body inside the shell of the grave clothes and laid it in the tomb. John recorded Jesus' command that you must be born again, what he said to Nicodemus. When he saw the empty grave clothes, John understood the picture of being born spiritually through belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus truly changes everything. And here's how it applies to you and me. When we personally put our faith in the resurrection of Jesus, that's when we're able to say, Jesus, I believe you're God. That you are bigger than life and death and everything else. You see, putting our trust in the resurrection is the same as putting our trust in Jesus himself. Romans 10 verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So what's keeping you? from putting your trust in Jesus and in the power of his resurrection. So many people, so many skeptics have tried to disprove the resurrection. But when you truly examine the evidence, when you look at it and consider it carefully, the only conclusion you can come to is that Jesus really did rise from the dead. Nothing else really matches the evidence. For Mary, grief kept her initially from believing. What about you? Is there a hurt that is keeping you from believing and receiving the gift of eternal life? Maybe you've been hurt by a Christian. Maybe you've been hurt by the church. Let me encourage you to keep looking, to step inside the almost empty tomb and look at Jesus himself and begin to explore what he says in his word about who he is and what he has done and how much he loves you. Don't allow fear and don't allow grief or hurt to keep you from trusting Jesus. For Peter, it was something different. Guilt kept him initially from believing. He felt too unworthy. Do you think that you must earn some favor with God before he'll accept you? There is none of us that are righteous. There's nothing that we can do that could possibly earn our salvation. Here's the truth. Knowing everything about you and everything about me, Jesus Christ willingly died for you. Isn't that good news? Jesus knew Peter was going to deny him and he died for him anyway. You see, that's the love of our God. So don't allow guilt to keep you from trusting Jesus because he has an incredible life for you. But also we want to press on. We want to become like John. We want to look for the glory of Jesus. John was able to see the glory of the resurrection. He not only believed, but he could see past the grave clothes to what Jesus' resurrection meant not only to his own life, but to every other person who would place their trust in him. We now have forgiveness, but what is more, we have new life. You see, seeing those empty grave clothes left behind is also a picture uh, that's portrayed in baptism. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12 says this, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. There's two pieces that go together there. We understand and what we celebrate in baptism, when a person's body goes under the water, it's a picture of identifying with the death and burial of Jesus Christ, saying that my sin, my old nature, has been crucified with Christ. And and, and it's left there. But what raises up when the person's lifted then up out of the water, we say, rise again to walk in newness of life in accordance with the scripture. It's a picture that you've been made brand new. You've been born again. And that's demonstrated in baptism and it's demonstrated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are not just forgiven. We are made new in Christ. That's the rest of the gospel. His life is now living within us to change us. I believe that John and Peter saw a glimpse of that truth in the empty grave clothes. They saw a little bit revealed of their own life being transformed, of how their old life was dead. As Galatians 2:20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The empty grave clothes represents both the funeral of your old life and your resurrection to new life. When we examine the empty grave clothes, it's a message to us that our old life is passed away. We're being transformed. Romans six eleven puts it this way: so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. It's the grave clothes; you need to leave it behind and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We are free to live in Christ. It's not an issue of of work and our own strength or labor, but it is His life vibrantly alive within us. The writings of Peter and of John after the resurrection are filled with life, with transformation that came about because of the resurrection. There's a new identity and a new spirit that permeates 1 Peter and 1 John when they tell us we are new. I hope you will experience the power of the almost empty tomb, that it will change you and give you hope and understanding that not only is Jesus risen, but that it changes everything about you when you place your trust in him. You see, if you have trusted him, He's making all things new. If you have spiritual questions about that, let me encourage you to send me a message. You can write something on Facebook or on YouTube, or you can email us. The address will be on the screen. We'd love to find a way to come alongside of you and encourage you in your relationship with the Lord. And to help you see how the resurrection of Jesus changes absolutely everything. Next week, we're going to begin our series on Advent, and I want to ask a special favor of you. This Christmas is going to be different for many people. And so in order to make it as special as possible, what I want to encourage you to do is to make a short video clip that's maybe a minute long that gives you a little bit of a taste of Christmas around the world. Maybe it's a tradition. Maybe it's some baked goods that are special to you and to your family. Maybe it's a song. Maybe it's a poem or just a tradition that you have from Christmas that you would share with others within our church family. Allow us to broaden our celebration this year of Christmas and to see the beauty of how we celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ to earth at Christmas time all around the world. So if you'd like more information, send me an email or check out our website. But we would love to have you share a little bit of Christmas around the world with one another so we can build each other up and encourage one another.